Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Weighed In. Dun, dun, dun. I'm in very cheery form. Kevin Blake is going to have a huge day over in Newmarket, so he's in very cheery form. And Tony Calvin is growing a moustache. How's that going for you, Tony? It's pretty impressive, actually. Don't know about that. I was hoping it would. I'm hoping it was going to turn up a bit darker than it is, but it's kind of like too much grey in it. <laughs> I think. Well, look on on our cameras, it looks very dark. In fairness, and this last week we had an incident that showcased why we shouldn't be showing this on YouTube. But this is a reason to show it on YouTube because you can all log on now and see Tony Calvin's tash. So that's great. And Vanessa Rose laundry hanging on. Yeah, I've stairs. just noticed that. <laughs> normally Barry Orr pulls me up on the laundry being drying out behind me but he hasn't so that's a bit disappointing but anyway we'll just plow on and your hotel room Kevin so yeah. they're in for a treat aren't they telling you what they get they get into all the nukes and crannies don't they you'll have every suspect character on Twitter zooming in on your uh, laundry yeah on my jeans on my jeans the thing is is we're always banging on on this show about being transparent and being open and honest and all of that and now look at us you've got Kevin Blake's bedroom Tony Calvin's tash and my laundry um what a start what a start uh should we plow straight on we've got weekend review um obviously loads of issues and topics to discuss after what was a pretty dismal weekend Kevin, you flagged it up early that this could be a very bad weekend for national hunt racing, and it was. <laughs> but let's focus in on a few of the positives before we get to the negatives. And the positives happened on the race course, and none more so than Stateman putting down his claim for a champion hurdle, cut to six to one from eight to one for the champion hurdle after winning the Morgiana on Sunday. Um, straight in there, Kevin, how impressed were you? Um, I- somewhat impressed <laughs> uh, look he did his thing he did his thing um did his job um perfectly fine um but i just to be honest watching the race just my eye was drawn to Sharjah. i was looking at him going Shit, that, that's not you you know like he kind of he didn't travel like he normally does he he kind of it looked like he was going to completely fall out the back of the telly turning in and then he stayed on again you know carry himself carrying himself a bit awkwardly it was uh, I, i'd be skeptical that that was all of Sharjah, if you know what i mean yeah like i would i wouldn't like to be hanging my hat on oh, there's Sharjah, you know rated 162 and he's probably run close to that i i don't know he didn't look he didn't look himself to me, you know, geez, like the, the abiding image I get when I think of Sharjah and, you know, traveling into races like a travelly thing. And um, he really didn't do that here. Um, so I, I don't know, was there something up there or what? But um, I, I I wouldn't like to be crowning. And in fairness, the market hasn't crowned statement based on that. I think is they just said, right, he's come back. He's he's probably run up to his best and, you know, greater challenges await. But um, yeah, I just I, I'd. I, I'm not knocking anything Stateman did, but I'm just wondering about the level of the race is my, would yeah, be my main, my main feedback. I think a lot of people, given it's the Morgiana and what Sharjah has done in that race in the past, et cetera, et cetera, could go and say, like you're saying, you know, oh, Sharjah was in second. He's a really good solid yardstick. But that is mm. a very intriguing angle because maybe he wasn't a solid yardstick on this particular day, given mm. how he ran. Tony, are you are your thoughts similarly sort of lukewarm on this race? Um. I mean, it's too early to, you know, to go overboard or, or crab it, isn't it? I mean, it was his first start since Punches Down. We don't know how ready he was. Um, you know, and he, and he beat a decent horse. I mean, I take Kevin's point about charge. I think Patrick Mullins, I think I've read some quotes from him today saying he was he was disappointed in that horse. So, you know, I, I, look, I don't think it's I don't think it's a race to go overboard about. And, you know, maybe not a race to, like, to crab, as I said. But uh, one thing I would point before we get on to... Later on, and Nicky Henderson. Do we think Willie Mullin gets a really, really easy ride from the press? Because I saw an interview on, it might have been at Clonmel on Thursday, about because he had six in the race at that stage. And he basically said all six are in the mix. All six are running until they're not running. And obviously, then only three get declared. And um, yeah, I just I just think, he, you know, if, if the likes of Henderson said, you know, I've got six in the race, the you know, they're all going to run at the moment. Only three declared at the overnight stage. I think, you know, the, you know, it's only because Mullins is so likeable that he gets away with it. And uh, and another side issue to the Morgiana, I mean, you know, British racing beats itself up uh, quite literally in some cases. 
Um, but if that race was in England, you know, one trainer with three horses in a four-runner grade one and the other horse was a 25-to-one outsider, it would be worries me in, in, in England. I mean, like, can you imagine the Ferrari in, in England and, you know, the likes of me probably, going on about oh, one trainer, three horses, grade yeah. one, massive prize money, the other one, 25-to-one, um, the other horse in the race with another trainer, Tia, who gets taken out. Yeah. yeah. Be absolute, like I said, it'll yeah. be worries yeah. me. It is a fair, both points are very fair. The Willie Mullins, does he get us, you know, do we give him a sort of easy time of it compared to Henderson and the likes and that angle of, you know, the state of Irish racing versus UK racing? I don't know what the answer is, but it is it's intriguing. Just, it's just because it's sheer likability because he's got a twinkle in his eye. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He's got, he's legendary for, you know, for keeping everyone in the dark, including, you know, jockeys, owners, etc. <laughs> and, and he gets away with it. He, he, like I said, all trainers, it's very similar to Lights and Nichols. I mean, they are man managers more than more than trainers in a lot of degree. And like I said, he gets around it. Sometimes, you know, you know, I get pelted for, for saying stuff that you know, if other people said it and said exactly the same thing, yeah, they get away with it and say, yeah, that's a very fair comment. So it's you know, it's it, it just occurred to me that the man, not the ball. Uh, and, yeah. and looking at the race, there are different well, standards applied. Different standards. Um, quick mention for the Betfair Fighting Fifth coming up this weekend. Constitution Hill, given the fact he didn't run at the weekend, is now potentially being rerouted there. He's four to seven and Epiton at six to four for the race. That was obviously her original target. Um, we'll come to Constitution Hill and the debacle in due course. But in terms of just looking ahead to the Fighting Fifth, Kev, do do you expect both of them to line up here? Yeah, well, they, they, they should. They should, yeah. you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk in more depth about it. But Nikki's kind of what was was bemoaning, you know, how much missing Saturday would mess up his program, etc. Just run him next weekend, you know, run him against Epiton, you know, like we've mentioned Willie there, you know, having multiple runners. That's one thing, in fairness, to him, he's not afraid to, to bang them off each other and mm. um, run them, run them both. You know, it's going. It's it's a perfect race for the two of them. I would would have argued pre this weekend that the Fighting Fifth was a better option for Constitution Hill than uh, the race um, last Saturday in terms of trip and everything else. Just run well, them. You, yeah, you made that point. You made run that them. point. Yeah, we should say it shouldn't be an issue. No, it's it's uh, the ground shouldn't be a problem. It's it's soft, good to soft in places. A Newcastle yeah. updated or we were calling this early on Monday morning. Uh, it's soft, good, soft in places. Current forecast is for not a torrential week, but wet most days or week. So, you know, we're probably looking at soft ground. And yeah, it's interesting. The exchange market's different, obviously different from the fixed odds market. Um, they just suspended the market better, as they normally do on Monday mornings ahead of yeah. the Constitution Hill was available at 2.9. So there's clearly some doubt about him turning up, but you'd expect that. And, and the fixed okay. odds prices have to be different because of the the running plans. Okay, we're going to tackle um, more of the Ascot debacle a bit later in the show, but let's plough on with the racing review section because Protector App bolted up in the 18th running of the Betfair Chase. Obviously, uh, a Plutard running like a bag of spanners, pretty disappointingly. <laughs> it's a fair assessment, Kevin. Um, uh, yeah, and... I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen bag of spanners put up better shows, to be honest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's get stuck into it. So let's focus in on the winner to start with. Let's give him credit where it's due. Is he a genuine Gold Cup hope after this performance? Um, sure, look, we're, 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 it's always very natural to be very sceptical when, you know, the, the heavy odds on Fav um, pulls up. But in fairness to Protector, if, if you if you use your imagination and imagine that absolute tired had never started in the race, you know, you'd be delighted with Protector. You know, there's some two very solid um, race fit rivals there in, in El Dorado Allen and Frodon mm. and um, Protectorat has absolutely kicked them into touch and when look I know he doesn't bring it every time he turns up or he certainly hasn't um, in, in the last couple of seasons but when, he, when he's on like he, ha- he has the capability to be very impressive um, you know the, the the mind goes back to you know Aintree last year. I know that was yeah. that was um, a slightly funny race on testing ground, but and when he's on, he's very good. But look, he's he's done a big job here. You know, I think this is uh, he, he's won his Grade One early in the season. He's absolutely bolted up. 
drive on now and see see what else he can pick up. Um, do in my mind, could I see him winning a gold cup? Um, no. Heavy you know, ground, I, heavy ground gold cup. Oh yeah, look, that would change everything. But yeah. you know, in a typical gold cup, I, I can't help but think he he'd find one, you know, one or two, you know, not knocking them too heavily, but uh, yeah. I, I remain just, to, just, to, I don't want to fully jump on board, but, but this, this was a great performance and good, good effort from, uh, from Paul to have him firing first time back. Not Paul. Dan, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would have also been a good effort from Paul, but yeah, Dan, um, I mean, like you say, I mean, a little bit in the Paul Nichols um, cut from such a similar cloth in the sense of, this was his day, wasn't it? They had him ripe for it. They had him ready for it. They said that before and afterwards. The ground came good. And Tony, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to say it, but jumping is the name of the game and where a Plutard looks sort of scruffy in places and a bit awkward. Yeah. Protector at different gear over some of those fences. I mean, he's so much scope and ability and he just makes up ground. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean... I'm not, I wasn't a particular fan of the horse going into it. We'll come on to the betting in a moment, but yeah, I mean, you can't really crab that. I mean, Dan said, we obviously had him cherry right there. I think he said he'd been away for three race course gallops. And uh, <laughs> obviously he was, you know, fully tuned up there. And, you know, I, I, you know, I can't see him winning the gold cup, but then you go and have a look at the current gold cup betting and you just think, yeah, I mean, you you have to you have to factor him in there because obviously the best horse in the race has come out and blown out, and you know he's out to eight ten to one. I think I think some mm-hmm. bizarre firm are offering up a three point R by offering twelves about Appletar. But no, I think this, this the underplayed part of the betting uh, the the race was the betting. I mean, obviously we all go on about massive drifters. We always go, you know, we went out on about editor to G. We you know everyone says oh they drift they can't win. The betting in the the betting in the immediate run up to that race was quite staggering. I was watching it uh, on the exchange, and the three outsiders in the last five minutes were all smashed up. Oh. Um, Tard went from one point four six to about one point five five, but Protectorat, who was as short as seven to four on Thursday morning when the market was suspended, or, or you know, I think the top price was five to two before the you know the um, the day of the race market kicked in. Protector app went off at 9.82 a bet for SP. Now that forgive me, but I don't, I don't, I have never seen in a five runner grade one where they're all they're all exposed horses, there were no unknowns. For that horse to drift out to 9.82 was quite something. And obviously, I don't know who was laying it. Uh, it would be fascinating to know, wouldn't it? Eh? Because there's because there's always a reason. Like there's always a reason, you know, so something that wouldn't be public domain, like generally, well, not a, sometimes it can be paddock related, etc. But there was probably something like the horse had a little bit of a scare, maybe in the in the days coming up to the race, or so yeah. there's all there's always a reason. I, I, never, never I wasn't no dedicated reason. watching any, you know, um, Sky Sports racing, uh, sorry, uh, racing TV or ITV. So I don't know if there was a trigger for that. But what I do know is the three outsiders were all really cut in. Aplutar drifted a little bit. So it wasn't it wasn't even if the, the main betting focus in the race, the favourite, went out for a was massively shortened. I mean, there was a there was a Tingle Creek last year when when Shaq and Poussoir yeah. you know, shortened up so much into mm. like twos on on the exchange that everything else had to drift. So Grenadine was returned 12s and you know another 50% bigger on the exchange. So Altior surname was another one with a really wild yes. betting market, wasn't it? But yeah, it was, maybe yeah. maybe we need to put on our 3D glasses, Tony. Maybe maybe there's some lads playing chess here while we're playing checkers. Maybe this was a, a, a knockout job. <laughs> the, the story after the race, I mean, you know, if it protects rat had uh, you know drifted out to 9.8 and ran and ran like Aplu's hard. Yeah. There'd be a big stewards here, but it's like you say, all these people. Interesting. You know, the market's always right. No, it's no. Not. Um, we should ask the question about a Plutard. I, I think it's come out. Was it this morning or last night? No, it was last night. Yesterday, uh, Henry de Bromhead said, you know, bit of a mystery as to why he ran so poorly. Um, Gold Cup winners coming back, and they've got a torrid record in terms of. You know, we all expect them to come back bouncing because they're a Gold Cup winner, but it doesn't always work out like that, does it, Kev? And 
are we when do we start getting concerned for a plutard um, like really and truly like like he's only he's only eight rising nine like he's a very lightly campaigned horse like he did three runs last season three runs here before you know three runs the, the year before that like he he's very lightly raced he's very low mileage and, and this was abysmal, really. Like, I know he, he was jumping out to his right, but he, he's done that pretty much all his life. That wasn't unusual. Mm. He did it when he absolutely danced in, in the same race last year. You know, the ground was no excuse. You know, stable form seems seems perfectly fine. You know, it, wa- it was odd. Um, it was odd, concerning. Um, but look, we, we've, you know, I, I wouldn't like to be writing them off. You know, if you want to draw a comparison parallel, like Manel Indo, Gold Cup winner, um, had an absolute shocker in the was it the King George last season. Yeah. And, and Henry got him back to, to run a belter in the big one. So I wouldn't like to be writing them off. We got loads of time to work with. Um, Henry is not afraid to keep him fresh. Um, and I wouldn't like to be laying big prices about him. Um, especially as TC alluded to earlier, a season where at the minute the, the deck wouldn't be blowing you away. And we know how good this fella is when he, when he's on. So uh, if, uh, if, you, if you gave me his current price and said lay back, I'd, uh, I'd certainly be more inclined to back than lay. Okay. My, my, my um, first thought after the race is I've just gutted that Alaho's had a problem and he's likely to go straight, mm-hmm. to, the, straight to the race because obviously, they will be, you know, if Agnutar doesn't get there, then Alaho you know, could well could well have gone for the Gold Cup. But, you know, if they are going straight there, I'd imagine they're going to go Ryanair rather than Gold Cup. So that was mm. that was a disappointing side side issue to that. Hashtag straight to Cheltenham. Love their jobs. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, let's move on, rattle through a few of the other good performances. We'll stay at Haydock for the time being, focusing on Paul Nichols. Uh, Hitman, very impressive. Only a six-year-old, won the graduation chase. Obviously, you know, third season as a chaser, and now he's been cut to tear from 10 to 1 to 7 to 1 for the King George. Lots of discussion after the race, Tony, in terms of is, is this the best chaser in Nichols's yard up against Braveman's game, of course. What's your view on that? Yeah, I think he is. Ooh. I think he is. Um, I've I've always been quite a fan of the horse, and I've had a few nibbles for the King George before that performance. And I'll, I'll, I'll tip it up now. It'll save me writing 2,000 words and <laughs> about four or five hours worth of wordies. Uh-huh. I think you have to, I, you know, sports, the sports book of sevens, that's a general price. I think Hitman, seven to one each way for the King George. And there's an argument saying back it win only because it's anti-post, it's a month away. But Hitman at seven to one for the King George just strikes me as about three points too big. Um, not, um, you know, I'm not entirely sold on Brave Man's game. Uh, and he's the six to four favourite. Woody Mullins has come out and said Gallop and Deschamps. He can't understand where the money's come from. Uh, that's that sounds like an unlikely runner. And he's the. Uh, <laughs> Did you see what he said? He said, "Ah, it was just an entry. Like I don't yeah. think we ever seriously intended on going there." And I'm like, "You're the poor owner." <laughs> exactly. I love. I love that. It was just like we just gave him an entry. Just like yeah. stopping the yeah, trainer come out and said that. Mm. He said, "Well, you could have actually said something four days previously when everyone was going about the punt." <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you seen the clip that's doing that's been doing the rounds on Twitter and that for the last? Last few days, it's, it's got a meme of all the all the old people sitting at the slot machines, just just doing oh, yeah, this yeah. along the line. That's Willie Mullins making entries now Monday morning. Just dun, 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 dun. yeah, just going back to the King George. You've got obviously Braveman's game. Oh, I have to be against at six to four. Gallop Hundershot, the second favourite, not likely to turn up. Long press. I think they're making noises about going somewhere before Kempton, so that's not likely to turn up. Uh, tornado flyer, yeah, I can see that, but that's relatively weak on the exchange. And you know, is that last year's winner? Is that going to come over again? And then you've got, then you're really clutching at straws with the likes of Eldorado, Allen. Um, you know, people were putting up Noble Yates as well. I mean, this is a really progressive horse. He's got two miles speed. He was, even though you can pick holes in that form on Saturday, that was, you know, that was two mile five in soft ground, and he was going away at the finish there. I think the step up in trip will really suit. He's on the up. Uh, look, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I would not lay anybody four to one about Hitman. I, I think he's, a, I think he's a horse on the app, and I think he's probably already the best horse in that yard. Okay, that's a big old shout. Do you want to give a quick shout to yeah, the novice? Yeah, I'll just just oh. quickly uh, hand, hands off quickly. I'm going to revise my view on Hitman. I was wondering about his stamina, etc. 
and yeah. whether he might be capable. I think he would be capable of coming back in trip, but I think he 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 showed that he he clearly does stay quite well. Um, this was impressive now, and like I wouldn't 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 be as strong as Tony, but I would see him as a serious contender for sure for the King Posi- George. Positive nods towards Hitman. I mean, look, he's a horse that Nichols has always spoken very mm. highly of, and has often sort of slight. I felt like. Uh, you know, I've interviewed Paul about him in the past and I have sort of introed him as the horse that he's not delivering quite yet what Paul expects of him, but only a six-year-old and now stepped up in trip. Plenty more to come, clearly. Uh, Tony, do you just want to give a quick mention to his n- listed novice hurdle winner, Tamaraz? Uh, um, just a very quick one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what the formers worth and we all know we all know that Tollworths are, you know, sometimes very winnable in very deep ground. But yeah, it sounds like he's going for the grade one at Sandown tomorrow. And uh, it's just another another indication that Nichols is going for the short-term targets rather than three or four months down the line where they might not have their ground and they might not be in the same kind of nick. Okay, good to note. Um, let's give a little bit more attention to Punchestown, Kevin. Yesterday, one of the real stories of the day was Darren's Hope winning the graded chase at a big price. What was he, 20 to 1? Um Talk to us about why this was quite a story. I actually missed the interview that you've referenced. So just expand on it. Yeah, I love that. Um, Bob Murphy, um, you know, is a, is a dairy farmer that kind of ha- basically has a go himself. You know, rides this mare himself, um, and you know had had the dam, etc. And you know, she's been a brilliant mare for a money heap of races and had a crack at the grade two and have a chase here and went and won it. And um, I didn't see, I, I believe Gary interviewed him on Racing TV as well. I didn't see it, but I saw Brian Gleason's interview with him on RT. It's um, it's worth chasing up on their social accounts. Now, really good interview. Um, Brian really thrives on, on these interviews and he got a great spin out of uh, out of Bob Murphy, Cowboy Bob, uh, as uh, he should be christened from now on because he famously wears a, a pair of cowboy boots at the races all the time. But a uh, re- <laughs> real great interview, real, real throwback. You know, we don't um, we don't see many of these stories anymore. Uh, whereas they would have been a much more commonplace, you know, 20, 30 years ago, just ordinary working fellas having a crack with a horse and, and having a big race win. So well done, Cowboy Bob. Delighted for you. Am I right in saying he's just got the two horses in training? I think that's it. Yeah. 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 R- r- rides them himself. You know, just real, real old, old school. Yeah, big time. Love it. Love it. Um, and I mentioned Kev as well, we'll stick with you for Kilcrup, made his chasing debut. Uh, obviously, just the horse that sort of we were all excited about and has slightly let us down. But how did you, what did you make of his chasing debut? Um, yeah, I think he'd be happy enough. Look, he, he didn't, he didn't quite do as much over hurdles as we, as we hoped he might, but he would, he, he would have given you the impression that he'd be a better chaser. That was his way of jumping hurdles, like he was just a little bit, a little bit up in the air at times. And um and, and this was grand. It, it didn't. I don't think it could hugely set you alight because he didn't have a tough task. But um, you'd be del- you'd be happy enough with his technique, and um, we'll learn more about him presumably at uh, Christmas time when he's taken on a, a greater depth of opposition. Yeah, coming back to the English Irish kind of like you know the points of reference. I mean, I don't know if there was a, a big Ferrari because Journey for Me got taken out of that race and just rendered it a pretty much a straight walkover in all but name, but. Yeah, it's maybe double standards at work again there, but yeah. Um, let's give a final, the final section part of our review section, I should say. Uh, the Chanel Farmer, 1965 chase at Ascot, ended up being a two-runner affair. And this was going to be it, wasn't it, Kevin? Uh, David uh, Maxwell uh, was uh, going to uh, win a grade two. A he, 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 he was, was <laughs> going to take it to the max, but it didn't quite happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, comm- commiserations if you took the short price. Um, yeah, poor old Max. I mean, <laughs> Tony, if you were Paul Nichols, how do you think? What do you think Paul Nichols's mood was like watching that race? He was probably more worried about his fifteen percent of the winning prize money going tits up when he went into the when he went about fifteen clear, pulling far too hard. Mate, look, you know what you're going to get. Well, you know, you, you know. We, we we joked about on racing only better on Friday. I mean, he he pays you know he pays for he pays all these big money for these horses. He rides them himself. He puts a lot of money into the game. If you back a horse of his, you pretty much know what you're going to get. Um, but you probably got a little bit more than you bargained for if you back that at twenty five solid running and about falls on free race. But yeah, yeah he's, uh, he's not he's not an easy ride. In fairness, no, he's not. Um, he, he, he isn't an easy ride. 
Yeah, he like I said, he has had some physical issues in the past as well. But the biggest physical issue he had on Saturday was the person on him. <laughs> Come on, Max. Get the doubters. Get the doubters. We'll see you next time in a proper You've race. You've got a soft spot. Max, you you, Vanessa. I can, I, see, I can see by the way you're looking at him. I just, like, I, I just, yeah, I do have a soft spot for him. But, like, you can't. You know, that is a shocker. And what can you say? But like at the same time, you know, it, it's, it's all the stuff we said before. It's his horse and he can do what he wants. And that's yeah, just, that. Just a and, and, he, and, he, and he, know, he knows the way it's perceived. Like, and I just admire the, the, the cojones of going out and doing it, you know, <laughs> despite the fact that he knows he's going to get stick every time he steps out. And then, you know, when you see him interviewed, I, I just think he's a breath of fresh air. Myself. Uh, okay. now, well, would, you, would you want 50 David Maxwell's going around doing what he's doing? No. no. But, the fact, but it's just, it, it is very rare. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take it. Just um, a very, just a very quick note on that race. When I was looking, I was looking at the Dex tracker on Thursday morning about that. And, and fair play to connections are called Cody. They saw that race was going to cut up again, as we, as we talked about a racing only better on, on Thursday. They saw that race was going to cut up. They stuck in a horse that was pulled up, jumping badly in the pad in, in at Cheltenham just five days previously when they entered him on Thursday, uh, and they you know they won a seventy grand race. So full you know fair play to the connections of Cool Cody and who spotted that opportunity and got the jackpot. And I should just reference one of our questions whilst we're on the topic here. Rich Evans sent in a question about David Maxwell, said, would it have been easier for David Maxwell to pick St. Calvados up and carry him over the line rather than attempt to ride him to win? I know he's the owner and he can do what he likes, but surely Paul Nichols was spewing at that. Well, uh, we've covered that, so we shall move you would, on. You'd have liked to have a camera on him, wouldn't you? you? Yeah, you would, you would. But look, we are where we are with that. And like, like on, Kevin Max. says... He's a breath of fresh air, something a bit different. And when he wins a race, we're all delighted for him. Exactly. I mean, the day he the day he managed to touch off uh, Paddy Mullins in the Fox Hunters at Punchestown <laughs> on the line, I love that. I couldn't have loved that more. Patrick oh, I Mullins. Gave, I gave him some roar that day. <laughs> Patrick Mullins outridden by David Maxwell in the Punchestown Fox Hunters. Terrific. Absolutely terrific. Um, let's move on to the big issues of the week. And of course, those issues have been brewing in jump racing for weeks and months now. And this is all about uncompetitive races, small field sizes, ground issues. And it all came to a climax in a negative way this weekend with pathetic field sizes at Ascot, loads of non-runners, including Edward Stone, Constitution Hill, and Lahore Press, all the horses that we wanted to see, we didn't get to see all a bit of a mess and obviously we've got loads of questions on this uh josh percy has asked i and this is a really interesting one because you know this is the crux of it i strongly considered going to ascot on saturday but looking at field sizes and anticipating non-runners i didn't if saturday racing can't even get racing fans through the door how are we how are we meant to attract new fans a big opportunity missed given no premier league football this weekend too and dave has issued sent in a sort of similar note yesterday was absolutely shite last weekend at Cheltenham hardly got the juices flowing every likelihood that Newbury next week will be the same fact is Saturday showpiece meetings are nothing of the sort should we leave National Hunt to Ireland and flat race on the turf all year but the point is is these these questions are flagging up what people feel out there at the moment and we are in a real mess Kevin aren't we um, yeah, you said introducing it there. This has been brewing for weeks and months. It hasn't. It's been brewing for years and years and years. The issues that are coming home to roost now, like were readily identifiable, like like six, seven, eight, nearly ten years ago, and the, the BHA did nothing. They did nothing, and now I think in, they're 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 starting to want to do something, and they can't because the, the their power structure is just a mess, and we're getting promises that that's going to change. Now we'll see, but. The horse is bolted, even if they went about changing it today. Um, it's going to take a few years at, at the very best for it to, to start going back in the right direction. Um, it, it's just terribly depressing. You know, I, I sent a text into our group there on, on Saturday morning, like this is all the feeling of a day that could just be absolutely shambolic. And sure enough, you know, the horses started coming out. Um, and look, you, you can point your finger in all sorts of directions. Um, like ask it, you'd have some sympathy for them. Like I, I remember I put up a video on Twitter there on King George Day 
during the summer, you know, putting putting starting the camera off on the flat track and putting it over to what becomes the jump track. And like it was like you'd you'd gone out there and sprayed it with Roundup. Like it was completely yellow and brown, dead mm. and rock hard. You know, and and you know, it's it obviously rains between now and then, but you can see why that ground is so thirsty. Um, and look, the times look, and I I would much rather go on times that than some lads sticking a stick into the ground. And the times say, you know, it was maybe on the better side of good to soft at Ascot, you know. And is that dangerous ground? Is that unsafe ground? The eye is in the beholder, but come on. You know, I think the, the ultimate problem here is the, is just the, the normalization of ultra conservative campaigning, which is a consequence of just having too many options, too many, too many races, too much emphasis on Cheltenham. And everyone is basically terrified for it to go wrong early in the season. Um, Nikki becomes a bit of a scapegoat here, but there was others in it and there is others in this issue. Um, Nicky just makes a rod for his own back I think with the way he deals with the media the way he talks up his horses all week um, and you know in the back of your mind that if, if everything isn't 100% right he's going to pull and then he responds horrendously when he starts getting scrutiny afterwards like I, again I, I'm going to shut up because I get to, I get there's so many facets to this but it, it, it's it's thoroughly depressing and look the main the main thing for me is not nothing really surprised what happened at the weekend it's become typical but I have to say we've mentioned it many times in this pod like I just feel Nicky um he, he for a man of such experience and such such a such a CV like his language is just so irresponsible in these situations like he clearly feels the scrutiny feels the pressure when he starts getting stick for pulling these horses um and to, to for him to talk about you know dangerous ground and if I'd run him I think he would have been sucking his box wounded for a year it's it's highly irresponsible and he said things like this before if you're not happy pull out your horse it's you're perfectly within your rights pull him out but don't go don't go down that road people say who are you to tell Nicky Henderson what to say and what not to say but we all have to be aware especially when he's talking on ITV to to a huge wider platform you have to have a bit of cop on with your language surely it's to me it's grossly irresponsible well, and it's been flagged up by so many different people, but it's not, it's that angle of it's not unsafe ground. It's unsuitable ground for yeah, your yeah. horse at Absolutely. this time of the year. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's it, we can go down different rabbit holes here, Tony, but I mean, Phil Jones has asked the question, what has changed in terms of Desert Orchid ran nine times in 1988, finishing with the Whitbread and seven times in 1989, the year of his Cheltenham Gold Cup win on ground ranging from good to firm to heavy. Cool ground ran eight times the year he won his Gold Cup. What has changed since the glory days? What do you think has actually changed? Why have we got to this uh, point where we're not? I, really think I think it's quite simple. The importance of Cheltenham and the, the, the obsession both, you know, from the industry and the media with Cheltenham. I mean, does anybody think on that ground on Saturday, as Kevin said, I mean, Steve Hyer, who I follow on Twitter, ex-Betfair colleague, you know, analyses ground and betting matters for a living, saying that was good to soft, maybe on the on the better side of good to soft, at worst. No quit whatsoever. Now, is anybody telling me, transpose that, you know, that card to Cheltenham on the Tuesday or Wednesday on water ground, on water, good to soft ground, which they start on at Cheltenham. Does anybody think Long Presse, Edwardstone and Constitution Hill aren't running? Absolutely no chance whatsoever. The obsession with Cheltenham has changed. Um, and, and with it, trainers' mindset, it's been, uh, it seems. And just just coming back to Nicky for a moment and his language. Now, I, I'm... I'm I really am massively of the opinion that trainers and, and anybody should speak their mind as they see fit. And quite clearly, Nicky Henderson believes what he says, because as, as Kes, you know, intimated there, he, this is a consistent theme with him, you know, the welfare theme, etc. So I've got no problems with Nicky coming out and saying that. What I have got a problem is if people, you know, people not going in there and correcting him. And as Kes said, it's, and you said, it's unsuitable ground. It's not unsafe ground. I mean, the BHA directive is, is to produce good ground. And clearly, Ascot did that on Saturday. And if those horses want to get pulled out because they want to keep it fresh and take out any, any margin of error before Cheltenham in four months' time, 
you know, let's have that conversation there. I mean, I've got more problem with the likes of Luke Harvey going on ITV or on 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 Saturday morning saying what he did because he's a you know he's a journalist. He, he's not he shouldn't be a friend of trainers and uh, and jockeys and trying to defend that kind of language. And, and another thought occurred to me. I mean, th- that Nicky Henderson interview with Matt Chapman, who, who did a brilliant job on on, uh, on on Sunday morning, I must admit, on his own and doing that. Yeah, program, so yeah, it's not did. an easy task that. And it, I think he did it really well. Interviews with, you know, the likes of uh, uh, Michael Buckley did on course, but he also did Paul Nichols, who was a, a very a, a very big counter to, to Nicky's words. One thing that occurred to me is, if I was the BHA welfare officer or the BHA Julie Harrington or whoever watching that interview. I'd get straight onto my PR team and get out a statement saying, we totally disagree what Nicky Hedderson just said there. The ground to ask it on Saturday was not a welfare issue. There's not, you know, it wasn't dangerous. It wasn't, they're not going to come back wounded running on, running on that kind of ground. Where are the BHA? You know, I, I appreciate it's the weekend, et cetera. But I'd be, if, you know, if I'm in charge of, you know, BHA making a big thing about this and it's a massive issue for the sport, the welfare, I'd be right on the front foot. As soon as by 11 o'clock, I'd have had a statement out there on Twitter. I'd have made myself available to go on Sky Sports Racing and, and to actually defend that, that issue. I mean, if we get to the stage where by now the BHI, the BHI directive is it's good ground, if that's not enough, they might have to change the BHI directive to provide good to soft ground, um, you know, for the rights or wrongs of that, then so be it. But the BHA have got to get on the front foot when they get uh, the leading trainer Giving out, you know, giving out, you know, giving out statements like he did there. However, however much he thinks that's the truth or not, and like I said, and I, I, I would never ever say to anybody, do not say that or whatever. But when they do say it, challenge them and come down on like a ton of bricks because, like I said, nobody, you know, nobody is going to say that that language is helpful to the sport um, in general. You know, it, in other sports, they might even slap a disrepute charge on them. Because that is that is really, really dangerous language. Stephen and James Lincoln both sent in good questions just about uh, in and around Nicky Henderson, but we have kind of covered them. But just in terms of um, Stephen asked why don't reporters have the balls to ask Henderson why he's why his why he pulls his horses on unsuitable going all year leading up to the festival, but will run them like Tony saying on the Tuesday of the champion hurdle. And James Lincoln has asked, um, he has pulled out an example, Fiemval running twice, um, running three times in his career and yeah. in the space of a couple of days at air on fast ground and Nikki, but then Nikki's saying, wouldn't it take a risk with any horse on fast ground? Again, it's kind of a suitability thing. Um, but we have kind of covered that. I just wanted to take it back one, yeah. take it back one stage and, and this is where Paul has sent in a good question. He said, with 350k up for grabs at that pathetic Ascot card, no one in racing should ever have the front again to moan about poor prize money in the UK. So, Kev, we've covered the ground issue. Those top horses were pulled out in regards to the ground being too quick. But taking it back a stage, the entries and declaration, well, the declaration stage was pathetic even before the non-runners. The non-runners just sort of added to the shit show that was Ascot's card on Saturday. It's a good card, loads of money up for grabs. Where are all the horses? There's no way you'd have that many small fields in Ireland. Like, where are the horses? Why There must be horses that are qualified and can run in those races. Why aren't they running? Uh, well, look, look, ground is an issue. Look, if the ground was soft, the fields would have been bigger. Like, would they have been, you know, five times the size they were? I don't know. But look, should we know? We know what the problems are. Everyone knows what the problems are. There's, there's way too much racing. There's not enough good horses. Like, it's, it's very, very simple. Like, it's a very simple equation. It's just the fact that they, this has been allowed to run away from the BHA for, for 10 years. It's just they have an awful lot to claw back with it, and they don't have the ability to go in with a hatchet and start lobbing chunks off the program book, which, which is what's badly needed. Um, and this problem isn't going to go away. And I, I can only fear that, you know, supporters of racing, the ones that we have inside the tent, very difficult thing to get people inside our tent. You know, you, you turned up to the races on Saturday. Are you going home thinking that was a nice experience and do that again? You know, if you're watching it on telly on, on ITV, uh, an occasional viewer of racing, it's absolute choice. 
you know, like a, a really poor spectacle on a Saturday at, at one of the greatest, you know, sporting uh, arenas in, uh, anywhere. You know, and the, 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 the product has gone so far downhill that it, it is shite. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's 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 really thoroughly depressing because I, 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 like I love Jumbo Race of Vanessa, but it's so easy to hate it at the minute. It's gone so far the wrong way. It's unbelievable. And look, it, we, we might get around in a few months. The cock keeps ticking. We might get to March and ha- have a lovely Cheltenham Festival again. And they might um, plaster over the cracks for a little while. But I tell you, I've been saying it for a number of years now. And I feel like I'm, I'm that fella that, that's crying wolf. But one of these days, one of these years, we're going to have a Cheltenham Festival where um, a whole bunch of the odds on fabs get beat. It's just thoroughly, you know, tedious action. There's no big stories to rescue it. And we're all going to come away on the Friday evening going, Jesus, this isn't 10% of what it used to be 20 years ago. And that that will be the moment that, that, I, that I would really fear because Cheltenham saves us as a sport in, in yeah. many years. And one of these years, it won't be there. It won't, it won't deliver, really won't deliver. Can I, can I ask you a question? I mean, and again, I mean, it's... It's not a clickbaity type question, what it is. But would would national under season be better without those four days in March? Would, would the whole of the season would be far far more competitive because you yeah. would get you would get you know the desert orchids running nine times. You would get the cool ground running eight times if they didn't have this one destination. You're and right. You are right. That is probably, you are right. and it's and it's so sad. That, that, that our greatest asset has become our biggest you know, issue, our biggest liability, arguably. And we you all know, know look, Cheltenham sells, look, and Kevin always makes the point you write anything about Cheltenham, you put any videos about Cheltenham online, you'll, you'll, the numbers will go through the roof. Uh, and so nothing's going to change from a media perspective in, in the short term. But I was thinking about over the weekend, it's like, I, I come back to the point that ground. On Saturday, it may have been too quick for those horses, but it was not quick ground. No, you know, and you know, times have to lead you the way here. The data and the science have to lead the way, as opposed to you know jockeys riding, you know, the horses and coming back and saying etc. etc. It's Goshen, Modlar, yeah, bolted up. But the Cheltenham, the the Cheltenham angle that you guys have discussed there is so interesting because because of its success, it's now racing's own downfall, and but the media are to blame as well. You know, we hype Cheltenham up to be everything. So then, if you're an owner coming into the sport, or if you're a punter having a bet, we've we've conditioned people to think that that is the absolute be all and end all. So it's like if you hadn't, if you, if I, my mum decided to buy a horse now, she'd want the Cheltenham Festival winner because that's what we've hyped it up to be. And you know, ITV like. We've got a question there. Joe McFadden has said, is national hunt racing in danger of blowing the showcase opportunity offered by ITV and further shooting itself in the foot in terms of promotion, prize money and stature? Saturday was grim. You know, ITV, we have this massive platform with them to showcase our sport to a wider audience. They're doing the best they can. They're trying to hype these days up like Betfair Mm. Chase Day to be a huge deal. But the truth is, is it's not what it used to be because of this Cheltenham factor, which they're also hyping up. Does that, so it's like a self, it's like, yeah. roundabout that we the can't about, get off the, the thing I, I i think about i mean you've got owners paying massive amount of money now i mean more, probably, kevin might correct me here but they seem to be paying more than they have ever done for national hunt horses if i'm an owner i want to see that horse run i i don't want to i don't want that horse to have one run and then go to cheltenham uh, and the folly of doing that is obviously, and then you might not get your ground at Cheltenham in March. I mean, it's, it's just absolute madness. We had it, obviously, we had it with a torrential rain uh, on the Wednesday of, of Cheltenham this year. I mean, there's no guarantee that you're, you know, the actual, when you think about it, it's absolute madness to just like target one meeting uh, four months in advance on ground that you don't know. Uh, against opposition that you don't know. The only, if I had paying 350 grand for a horse or whatever, as madness as, as that may be, I, w- I want to enjoy that horse throughout the season. You know, you look at Haydock on Saturday, you've got Jed Mason, Alex Ferguson, John Hales, jumping around like, you know, five-year-old kids who just got there, you know, just on, on, on Christmas Day, opening up their presents. 
And, and they, they, you know, they're going to, that's Protectorat and that's Hitman. They'll have the same with Hitman at Kempton on Boxing Day. You see, it's all about enjoyment, going there. It's not, it's not about keeping him, wrapping him in cotton wool hey, and then going to Cheltenham in March. Have the lot. I mean, if I had a horse, I'd have it with Nichols all day long because it's not, Cheltenham is not the bill or an end with him. He, he makes it fun. They have enjoyment. And like I said, and it's just not a one-off a year enjoyment. Like I said, it's no, I'm, look, I, I agree with you. about owners put up with this. I agree with you, but, you know, you can, you can, yeah, we could talk about this all day long. Let's move on to some questions. It's kind of a similar route, a similar sort of area, but we'll cover a few of the questions. Everyone's just so frustrated with this, Vanessa. Like, you can really see it coming through on social media. Like, oh, it's geez, amazing. Like, like, like and the, it's, it's the, the only thing that has stopped this really coming to a head for years now is just the, 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 the love that National Hunt people have for the game. And but now they're getting pissed off. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, it's all it's anecdotal, okay. isn't it? But I mean, no. there is a. I think there is a. There is a move against very tangible. On, on social it, media. It feels very <laughs> tangible. You know. Yeah. Um. Look, one of the things that um has come our way from well, Mark Morrison and Gary DC have sent in a couple of interesting questions just in relation to what we're talking about in terms of Cheltenham being the focus, et cetera, et cetera. Horses not running. Um, Mark Morrison has asked, is it time to make pre-Cheltenham races win and you're in races for the Cheltenham grade ones to force trainers to run their horses during the season? And Gary DC has suggested a similar type thing to increase the number of times the horses run. Should Cheltenham introduce a minimum number of completed runs prior to Cheltenham to allow, allow preparation at the festival? Um, sorry, allow participation at the festival four would seem an appropriate number. Obviously, I mean, many people would like the idea of this, Kevin, but it's it's a hundred, it's a thousand to one to ever happen. There'd be such big backlash from the likes of Nikki, Willie, et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, look, could you do it? Yeah, technically you could. You know, they've put all, attached all sorts of conditions to the Grand National. You know, you have the likes of the Pretemps qualifier with it, with, it, with the Pretemps final with its funky um, qualification criteria. Could you do it if you really wanted to? I'd say you could, but again, you, you, you'd find plenty of examples where it's not achieving what you wanted to achieve. You know, the horse that genuinely has a setback and can't run until January, you know, you, you would have sympathy for them. You know, look, ultimately, if you, if the program book was appropriate for the horse population in terms of good races, I don't think you'd have nearly as much of a problem. Look, if, if Nicky, for all that he he kind of was bemoaning the, the lack of options, there's loads, loads of options for Constitution Hill. If if the program was genuinely tightened up to the extent that it should be, you know, he would have been he would have been even more. He would have been very reluctant to pull out on Saturday. You know, well, probably this Saturday's race probably wouldn't be there. You'd be looking at the at the fight in fifth as an yeah. option. If you want an option in the in the six weeks before Christmas, you go to Newcastle or you don't run. Yeah. Um, now with Nicky, he might end up going for a race course gallop instead. But um, yeah, you, the, the, that's what we have in Ireland. Like it's a very tight program book for nice horses. There's flash points there. Down Royal Fairy House. Um, punches down to a lesser extent in December, Christmas, Dublin Racing Festival, Cheltenham, Fairyhouse, mm. Punches Town. There's very little fat knocking around the edges of those meetings for nicer horses, and it, it serves to funnel them into flashpoints, which is what we should be, which is what the program book should be unashamedly looking to do. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Yeah, look, look, as I said, it's it's a mess. It, it is such a mess, and it's not going to be easily rectified. So right, they, 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 they ditched the contender's hurdle. So that, that's a move in the right direction. Let's, uh, guys, yeah. let's let's get through a few of the questions that we haven't yet covered, um, all in similar sort of area. But ground, Ed Johnson has asked, should there be an industry-wide review into how ground is, is consistently and accurately measured, displayed and described to all parties? The days of sticking a naff piece of wood into the ground, as per Nikki Henderson's ITV interview, seems long gone. I kind of like this shout, independent ground assessor, not employed by the BHA someone independent, not associated with the track, get on there. You know, now you'd probably need a bunch of them to, in England where there's a million tracks and so much racing, but wouldn't it be nice to have an independent, uh, non-biased view of the ground and the build-up to meetings and on the day? Because now with me cynical Sammy hat on, I'm sure TC would agree, you can't help but feel that, that some of the clerks, you know, will give you reports 
of what they hope the ground will be rather than maybe what it is, you know, with a view to encouraging connections to run. Um, so I, I could certainly see a case for that, yeah. Okay. Just um, one thing, and that would also, being a, being a clerk of the course is probably the worst job in the world because your yeah. phone will be red hot all the time. You've got one group of trainers saying water, another yeah. group of trainers saying don't water, and, and you must be sitting there going, what you know? I what know. is going on here? And, and if and you had an some trainers calling your ground dangerous, it, it would take it, it would hopefully take away all that kind of like pressurization. We've already covered this one from Shane, but we'll name check him anyway. He says, "Do you think national hunt racing as a sporting product is on the decline, and how do we revive it from mediocre quality to the majority of the race? Canada Bar Boxing Day and Cheltenham Festival paying fans are being turned off, especially with big gun non-runners." Well, we've covered that already, and we can't keep going on that. Let's move on. Here's I an interesting. Can angle from rich in terms of breeding i like this question given global warming isn't going anywhere other than hotter do you think jump horses will increasingly be bred to size that prefer faster ground not the clocks have their way <laughs> yeah just just need to the, every track's going to need its own reservoir now if they don't have them already but uh yeah national hunt breeding is moving in an interesting direction there's a, there's a very, seems to be a, a want there for these french horses that have um that have jumped themselves you know and invariably on, on, on soft ground down there so i don't know I, I wouldn't like to be trying to read which way national hunt breeding is going to go it's a funny it's a funny just, uh, just the so one thing we do know Kev, is... you talk about horses getting pulled out the ground too quick it was Lord of Main Hill got pulled out at Haydock on Saturday because, uh, because the ground wasn't deep enough. No, and it was soft ground at Haydock. Wait, what is going oh, on there? All my all my sluggery completely wasted. Yeah, but, uh, I was going to hey, say, lads, hey, hey, what about this? What about this conversation, lads? It's been it's been thirty odd years. Is it nearly? Is it is it time to we give all weather jumping another go? No. Kevin. I'm not joking. Why not? I know you're not. Oh, I know you're all, not. All these please. horses school and all weather services, every single one of them. Why not? The services have surely improved in 30 years. I remember Dundalk had a very funky plan to kind of uh, install um, a kind of a hybrid all weather jumping track there about 10 years ago. Google that. It was, it was, it was interesting. It was certainly left field. What was, ha, why that, not? Have a go. Was that horse Suluk uh, when, when Savile used to jump on the all weather? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think now it's, it's uh, I'm kind of being half, half jestful, but only half. No, I think the issue that I think the issue that they found is when you got when you got falls on it. Um, if you when you fall on turf, you'll generally slide, and it kind of dissipates the impact. Whereas um, there's more traction in an all weather surface, mm -hmm. and if you got pole axed yeah. into the ground, there was less slide, um, and it could lead to more injuries. But I, in all 100 seriousness, I wonder should they. Should they look into it in terms of type of surface that might work best? Um, because as I keep saying, and I'm not joking, lads, in 20 year time, there's going to be so many more all weather tracks. A, a way higher percentage of racing will be all weather um, in Britain and Ireland, around the world, I suspect, because it's going to be very difficult just if I put millions of litres of water down on grass so that the horses can have a nice surface to run on um, with regard to climate change. Global warming. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's, it's uh, you think I'm joking. I'm not. I'm, I know you're not joking, but I'm just acutely aware that we've got to keep the show moving because we're going to run out of time. We've got some good questions. Uh, Racecourse Gallops. Ben has asked, are racecourses such as Newbury shooting themselves in the foot by promoting and televising racecourse gallops? I had more emails about them about their gallops last week than I've had about any proper meeting. How depressing is that, TC? Um, but it was quite maybe quite instructive to say Racing TV didn't broadcast it live this year. So I don't know if they were trying to keep, but well, they had a, you know, and it, I, I don't know why that happened, but look, clearly, clearly, look, coming back to Ireland, I mean, they do have kind of like race course gallops in Ireland a lot of the time. And they have, obviously they have your schooling sessions as well, where yeah. uh, involved as well. Clearly the way that, 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 uh, that newbie gallops day were, was morning was built up was, was pretty farcical. And, and some of the clips I've seen, the likes of Shishkin and Chomp, just literally the line. would even make a breeder's cup attendee blush it was quite funny i don't know if you saw the, the road the, the road, <laughs> to, the, the road to cheltenham and uh 
and racing TV. It was very good in fairness this week from Clamel. And at one stage, they brought up footage of the race course gallop and Lydia asked Ruby and Davey Ross, you know, what do you think of the two? And they just kind of looked blankly. Like, yeah, which yeah. one's which? Yeah, I damn right. That, I haven't um, seen it in years, but I watched that and that was really good. good. That was very it's really good. good. But yeah, I, I was going to make TC's point there that we like we do have lots of race course, um, schooling bumpers, and like schooling hurdles, etc. in Ireland. They're just not publicised, but I would say in fairness, they are used more so as you know conditioning education rather than replacements for races, which they sometimes seem to be used for in the UK. Okay, Glenn Little has asked, future of our beloved jump racing, small fields, uncompetitive races, poor prize money, Irish dominance at Cheltenham, framed with South Africa, New Zealand, Aussie looking to ditch it for safety concerns. How can we come through this crisis? Well, we've discussed that plenty, Glenn. Um, homework, I like this question from Gavin, but quick answers now, please. Gavin Cockburn has asked, what kind of ground do these horses train on that it yeah. is so much safer than the ground they find at race courses? The all-weather services. <laughs> Genuinely, wood, wood chips in all weathers. That's why nearly all. Well, they they go, they go plenty on. on grass gallops. Yeah, mostly all weathers on this day and age, and they love to get the you know the scooting on grass would be considered very important for a lot of them, um, but they, they would spend the vast majority of their time on some sort of artificial or, or sand based surface. Yeah. I thought um, I heard Willie Mullins once saying, you know, he when the, look when a horse runs in a race on the fences, that's the first time they've scored him on grass. Uh, He's never been schooled across before. Yeah, he, he'd be he'd take a very minimalist approach to schooling, which which would be quite different to um to to most top trainers. But uh, Willie's going all right, so maybe he yeah. has it right. <laughs> uh, consolation races, John Hawkins. If Constitution Hill is rerouted to Newcastle, should the track put on a silver version of the Fighting Fit so him and Appleton <laughs> can be split and both can and win? Divide it, yeah. yeah two, two, I love two, divisions. Divide two divisions. Two divisions. I love that one. Uh, buying a racehorse. Here's a random one. Left field, not any things to do with what we've been discussing how will has asked how do you go about actually buying a racehorse come to me and i'll buy one for you <laughs> golden farm kevin, kevin's selling a two-year-old later on today so yearling yearling yeah, kevin, cool. <laughs> um yeah, yeah look, you could do you could go about it any number of ways you could you know if you want a nice turnkey solution you can go and claim one out of a claimer ring up a trainer you like and say hey buddy go claim that horse for me and that's nice and simple you can go to an auction um, you know, auctions all year round, all types of horses. Um, it, it's not the most difficult thing to do, but if you if you know nothing about it, um, I, I'd suggest ringing trainers, having a chat, um, see which okay. one you, you, you like and get on with and, and let them um, guide you from there. Yeah, there's lots of different avenues for you out there, but we would always be happy to help. Um, let's try to get through the last few questions. The next step for Constitution Hill, Gary Kelly, hearing uh, Nikki Henderson saying the problem is now mapping the next step for Constitution Hill is incredible. Surely he can't be any easier with the races available. It, surely it can't be any easier with the race available in England now before Cheltenham Sports evolves. Surely greater incentives for no number of runs would be good linked to weight. Yeah, well, we have discussed that and hopefully he'll turn up in the fighting fifth. Neil Madden, why can't the BHA see the need for less jumps meetings and the calendar needs ripping up? It's too easy for good horses to dodge each other and there's too much focus on Cheltenham, but that's four days of a six-month calendar, more of a rant than a question. Well, we've ranted for a good hour of this podcast about the same issue, so we feel your pain. Um, here's a good one by TBY. Why do Venetia Williams's horses tend to go well on deep going? Would she be sourcing deep ground types or is it to do with her training methods? Thanks, as always. I always wonder this. It's a cliche we always wheel out. What's the answer? I'd love to see what surface she trains on. Um, you know, whether it is horse selection or the way they're trained. You know, Willie's horses would be would, would have a well-earned reputation for kind of coming into their own on particularly testing ground. And when you go and see his gallop there in Clisotten, you can see why, because it's just like so deep. Like so, so, such a deep surface that that just conditions his horses to be able to get in and out of deep ground um, very effectively. So there, there's, prob there's probably an element of selection and conditioning, I dare say, but I'd love to see what gallop she trains on. That'd be interesting. Yeah, and also I think you know she has them out like she, they're turned out a lot. They got you know they're in a field in deep going all year round. So I know it. I don't know if this is anything to do with it, but I always did wonder that you know they're well used to running around and galloping in heavy ground because they do it when they're out in the field. They get loads of turnout there because she's lucky to have that. Um, last question, but it's one that we should answer. Where does prize money go? Brian Shanahan has asked, what happens to the remainder of place prize money when you get race 
instances of walkovers or non-runners in small fields. There was 16K in prize money in the walkover yesterday, but the winner gets just over 8K. I was always wondering where the rest of the money goes. Does anyone know the answer to that? I should know that, but I don't. I always thought it, the whole lot went to the, the winner, but maybe not. I'm not, I'm not sure it does. I think it gets re- re- redistributed into um, in, into some of the funds that that kind of pull on prize money. Oh, so, so apologies, I should have looked this up. It's it, it, the information is there, so I've looked it up myself before. I think it gets redistributed to some of the to some of the various funds. Yeah, that, um, would take. We'll find out. We'll find out, and I'll I'll tweet the uh, I'll tweet the question. Question right there, TC. But we have actually managed to rattle through all our questions. Obviously, they were all pretty much on one um, area in particular, and rightly so, after the slight embarrassment that was the weekend. But hopefully, we have covered plenty of your questions, plenty of the angles too. Uh, as always, Kevin and TC, thank you very much. And as always, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with Racing Only Better. Have a good week, guys. <laughs>